Heavenly Father, as we look around the world, we see a culture in chaos. We see people living and doing what seems right in their own eyes. We hear voices all around us saying that they have the truth. And so, Father, as we open your word today, speak truth into our hearts and minds from your heart, that it would transform us from the inside out, that it would transform the way that we live so that we would go out to be a people of hope, carrying your gospel to a world that desperately needs you right now. And so, Lord, speak in these moments as we open your word to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're wrapping up a series called Order in the Chaos that we've been in over the last few weeks. And as we got into the new year this year in 2022 as a church, we launched into a, a reading through the Bible project this year together. And it's not too late. If you want to jump on board with us, we've got many people, hundreds of people across our congregation who have texted the word word to the number uh, 833-440-0137. And you can still do that and jump in with us because it's been exciting to see how God is already working in families as they've been reading daily the scripture together. We started at the beginning of the word and we're working our way through it this year. And so as we've been preparing sermon series, we're going to be doing the same thing as we walk together as a congregation through the word of God and, and gain new insight into his truth and, and strengthen our faith together. As we jump in this morning, I want to begin with this question right here. What would it look like if, what would the world look like if there were no rules. Think about that for a moment. If there was no rules, if there was, you could do whatever you want, what would the world and society look like? Think about traffic for a minute. If we all just left and everybody just did their own thing. Like as it is, people aren't obeying traffic signs uh, really diligently right now. It makes me think of this, this uh, police officer who was in a small town. He was a, you know those small town police guys that they watch traffic come through and like if you're not careful, man, they will get you like real quick. They'll sit there with the, the speed trap. One day this, this car was coming into this police officer's town and he was watching it and this lady that was going super slow, he was like, wow, this is not good. He shot the gun and it said she was going 22 miles an hour. He's like, this is almost worse than speed. And he's like, somebody's going to get hurt. And so he turns on his light, pulls the car over. He goes up to the window. He says, ma'am, uh, is everything okay? I saw you were going 22 miles an hour. He looks in the car, and there's like some other elderly women in there with this lady. And she says, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Just back up the road. I saw a sign, and it said 22. And he goes, well, ma'am, I'm sorry. That's like we're on Highway 22. Not 20, and she's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And as he looked in the car, he could see that the other women in there, they were like pale white, and they were sweating. And, and he goes, ladies, are y'all okay? And the, before they could answer, the lady that was driving said, oh, they'll be fine. We just got off of Highway 126. <laughs> Chaos. We got to have rules. We got to have laws to operate. And so from the very beginning, God has wanted order in, in this world. And from the time of our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they fell into sin, it threw everything into chaos. It was like uh, just sin took over. And you, we live in that now. You feel it. You see that so much violence out there in the world. 
got people looking out for their own self and stepping on other people to get ahead. There's sickness and there's death in this world of sin. And so God, he, he wants us to find order. And he actually wove into the fabric of his creation, his order and his laws. And he wrote on the, the heart of mankind his order, but we have turned away against it. And so this morning, I want us to, to dive into the word of God and see what God's desire is for us in our lives and how he wants us to live in this world. And we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bible and wanna open it there or turn on your device, as we look at a message called, It's No Mistake. Where are we in the word of God? Well, we are in the book of Exodus, and so if you're new to church, we had, and maybe you've heard of this uh, back in the day when Moses went to Pharaoh over in Egypt, and he goes, let my people go, and he led God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery, and they crossed the Red Sea. Remember, the sea parted, and they crossed on dry land, and they get to the other side, and now they're about three months out from being in slavery. And we find them in Exodus chapter 20 at Mount Sinai. And we're about to see an incredible event in the life of God's people. He's at Mount Sinai. He's going to meet with his people. And he's going to give them some words to live by. He's going to give them the Ten Commandments. He's about to give them his laws. And so here we are. And you can go back to 19 and see how all of this scene is set up in Moses goes up the mountain, he gets the law, he comes back down, and he's going to present it to the people. You know, as we were growing up, a lot of us have heard the phrase, the Ten Commandments, and a lot of people get turned off by this, the commandments. They think, man, God is so oppressive. He's just got all these do-nots and stuff for me. But if you look back in the, in the Old Testament at the language of the Bible, you can see that actually the, what these are not labeled the Ten Commandments. They come from a Hebrew word called dabar. Dabar, and it means word or sayings or things. And so it's been said that they could be also called the Ten Words as God is speaking his will to his people. Let's jump in in verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, and God spoke all these words, dabar, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so God, right off the bat, he is telling his people, I am your Lord. I, I am who I am that led you out of slavery. I am your God, and so now I'm speaking to you. And what is so awesome about this verse right here is that we see that it was God who operated first in grace and in deliverance and in salvation as he led them out of captivity, out of, and he set them free. And so before he steps into their life to give them the law, he's already demonstrating his incredible grace. Do you see it? It's not that they have to obey, obey this certain code to earn his favor. He says, no, I've led you out, and I brought you here, and I'm still leading you into an incredible promised land. He's a God of grace. And so he comes with this heart to give them his instructions out of a heart of love for his people. Many people get tripped up on the commands of God and the, the law of God, and they think, oh, this law is bad. And then Reality, the law is very, very good. Our framers of our, of our confessional writings in the Lutheran church, the formula of Concord, say this in the, 
the writings that they say the law of God is nothing more than his will for his people. His will for his people. Think about it. He's saying that when I give you these commands, this is like the shape of how my people in the world will operate. If you were to live exactly like this that I'm laying out for you, this is the shape of how my people will live. It's not that I'm giving you some ladder of of things that you've got to climb up rung by rung. If I obey this, obey, 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 that I'll get closer and closer into the favor of God. He's saying, no, these are my will for my people. And they point us actually to Jesus. And we're going to see that here in a moment. The problem that we have with the law is that it points out our tendency to, to do the opposite thing that God wants, doesn't it? Like, we, we so struggle. We have this gravitational pull to, to rebel against what God wants. I saw this demonstrated uh, a couple of, about a year ago, Lisa and I had a, a couch, and like we were going to upgrade and get a new one, so we, went, we put the old one out on the curb. We drug it out there, and I was thinking, man, somebody's going to come by and grab this thing. And so I get up the next morning, it's still sitting out there. I'm like, what is going on? I got to change tactic. I run inside, grab a piece of paper, write $50 on there and taped it to it. Went to bed and got up the next day. Where was it? It was gone. Somebody came and stole it. Can you believe this? Like, what is this? That, like, if it's free, it's like, ah. But then, like, ah, oh, I'm going to get this couch and I'm going to load it up. It's like we have this tendency to go and to want to go against the rules in our life. And so God is laying out for us his, his perfect desire as his, he's the creator and he's the maker of heaven and earth. And he says, I'm going to lay out how I want my people to operate. So what we acknowledge is that, God, you're the maker. And so you're the authority. And what you say is the way it's going to be, whether we like it or not. I want you to imagine you have a friend, like an international person that's coming over from another country and they get here and you want to show them the around you're like I'm going to give them a great time and so I'm going to take them to a baseball game the Texas Rangers let's go down there and I'm going to show them like baseball America apple pie so you get in there and you're watching the game and just to help your friend understand you say okay so when the guy gets up there to bat he they give him three strikes like three opportunities to swing all right and it's like okay cool and then they if they throw the ball and it doesn't quite get in the right place they, it's called a ball and like they get four of those that aren't and the guy's like okay wait a minute he three strike four balls all right who came up with this so then He's like, all right, if this guy's up there and he bats and he hits the ball, but it flies off out of the field of play. It's called a foul ball. And so your friend's like, well, how many of those do they get? Well, they get unlimited number of those. Like, what is this game? Like, who made this up? It's so confusing. Maybe by this time you're frustrated and you say, hey, dude, if you don't like the game, like, go make up your own game. But this is the game of baseball. It's how it is. It's just how it is. And God says, You may not like it. You may rebel against what I've said and what my will is, but I am God, and this is the way it is. And he's written these laws into nature even. As you see, like the law of gravity. I could say, you know, I don't like that law. I don't believe in it, and I'm just going to walk off the stage and like, boom, what's going to happen? I'm going to just crash and burn because it's a law that's built in. And God says, I have given you my laws. They're unchanging, and I am the authority. So as we look at the law in the Commands of God today, 
Maybe for some of you, this is a review that if you've grown up in church, you're going to see that God has designed us to live basically on these two axes. If you were in geometry, you might you see this, the vertical, the x-axis like this going here, and then we got the y going this way. And so God's saying, I'm going to give you laws that govern how you're in relationship with me, and then you're in relationship with the world around you. And so we have what's called the two tables of the law. If you look at the the Ten Commandments, they're divided into two tables. And you're like, is that when Charleston Heston came down with them two tablets? It's like, no, they were on tablets of stone, but the two tables of the law deal with the X and the Y axes. And so the first table we see are the first three commandments. And let's take just a moment to review them together for the sake of the body of Christ. Maybe you know this, but maybe somebody is new here and they are hearing this for the first time. The first table of the law has to do with our relationship with God. So he says this to his people. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Stop right there for a moment. He says... Have no other gods before me. We've heard that growing up. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have a God? To have a God, I guess, you know, it's been said that it could be that's that most important thing in your life, or a person, or a thing that holds the highest esteem and, and place of importance in your life. And Luther even said this, that our God is that which we fear and we love and we trust above all other things. And we turn to, in our moment of despair and in need that we, we lean in and we trust in. So God is saying, my people, I am your God, and I'm a jealous God. My heart is for you, and I want your heart to be for me. Have no other gods. Don't bow down to anything else. I am going to be supreme in your life above all. And then he goes on to say this, the second command in verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You've heard this. What does this mean? Why is it so important? Is his name, if you think about a name, what does it represent? It represents the, the character, the identity of a person. Like when you say, what do you think of so-and-so? And you say their name, things come. And so God is saying, my people bear my name. You are my people, and, and I've placed my name upon you. And so when you go out into the world to represent me, I want you to bear my name with honor. I don't want you to to swear and and take it in vain flippantly and make empty vows using my name. I want you to hold my name in honor so that the world will know who is the one true God. Bear me out to the world. Let's look at the third command. It begins in 8, the third word from the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So God set up a system with his people as they were now beginning a new nation. And he said, you used to work seven days a week. Now I'm putting one day a week that you're going to rest. And then on that day, you're not just going to lay around and do nothing. I'm gonna, I want you to keep this day holy. And I want you to set it aside to worship me. 
And I want you to not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. I want you to come together so that individually you keep in perspective your relationship with me and as a nation, as a, cor- as a corporate body that you're acknowledging me on this day. And so Martin Luther would go on to say this about remembering the Sabbath. He would say for us that it's a day that we should celebrate coming to hear the word of the Lord and to receive the sacrament, that we wouldn't look on it and despise that day. He says, don't despise the gathering, but, but come with joy. Keep the day holy. Keep it in the right perspective. And so it's the first table of the law. Those three right there is in our relationship with God. And then the next one, we go to the next table of the law. And this has to do with our relationship with others. With others. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. It's like, okay, I don't have a problem with this. I love my, my folks. But here's the thing, there's, it's deeper than that. When he's saying honor your father and mother, he's basically saying that you need to respect and honor those that have been put in authority over you not just your parents, but also consider those who are over you as a supervisor, your civil leaders. Maybe they're not even a believer in Jesus or in Christ or in God, but I put them over you and so honor them and respect them. Honor your father and your mother. And so if you struggle with authority and you're always bucking against it, maybe this is one that God can can begin to, to reveal to you and grow you in, that I'm gonna be a person of honor. Listen, in verse 13, as we move on, he says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet. So here's where people get messed up with the law. They're like, man, it's just this, do not do this, do not do, do, and all this negativity. And so God's just this God, he's like got all this stuff, and I can't keep it, and it's just negative. But I want you to shift your thinking for a moment and and look at the commands today from a new angle. That God, more than saying do not do this, he's saying that this is my will for your life and that my people won't do this. The people that, that love me and love others won't be about taking their neighbor's things. They won't be about killing someone else. My people operate differently. It's like this, when I was growing up, me and my brother, and we'd be getting into trouble in high school, and I'd come home, and my dad, he'd say, you know what, the Jones boys don't operate like that. Like, what our family does, all your friends can do that, but here's how we're going to roll right here. Like, the Jones boys do this, and so God is basically saying, not don't do this, but here is how my people are going to live When you live in covenant and in relationship with me and in love, it's going to flow out of your life in the way that you treat others, and you're going to respect them. So he gives us the second table of the law to help us to flourish and to have peace in our relationships with other people. So it brings us to this next question as we move forward, is why are the Ten Commandments still relevant to me today? You know, I talk to different people, and as Lutherans, we're under, you know, we preach grace, and people go, well, hey, we're not in the Old Testament, we're under Christ. Like, why do I need, or, do the Ten Commandments even apply to us anymore? And so, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
So Jesus was saying, I've come not to, to do away with them, but I've come to fulfill them and live them perfectly because you can't. And then you, I'm going to take the, my perfection and the righteousness that I have from that, and I'm going to trade it out, and I'm going to take the punishment that you should deserve because you couldn't keep them perfectly. And so I'm going to put that on myself. And so he says, no longer are you under the condemnation of the law. No longer are you under the obligation and, and under the punishment of the law. But he does say this, that you're still under the responsibility to live out the will of God. Does that make sense? We're not under the, the condemnation, but he, God is still calling us to live out his will. And that's what he says the commandments are for us. And so as we move forward in here, We've identified through time, what is the law? How does it affect my life as a believer in Jesus Christ? And let me quickly give you three ways that it can help us. The first one is this. The law serves as a curb for our lives. And you know, you're out there, you're driving down the street, you're texting, you're not paying attention, and you like, maybe you hit the curb, boom, and it causes you to get back into the road. The law is a curb, and it guides society to, to do the right thing. It doesn't always work, but imagine we do respond to the, the fear of a punishment. You think, I'm going to like pump the brakes and slow down so I don't have to get like a $200 ticket because uh, that's, I don't want to be punished with it. Like, I'm not going to go out and just kill my neighbor because uh, we have the death penalty. You know, so that it causes me to stay within the law. Listen to what Moses said in Exodus 20, 20 to the people. Moses said, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So there was a healthy respect that they had. The next thing that the law does for our life is it's a mirror. Maybe you've heard this before. And what does this mean? As I look into the law and I look at God's, his, his will for my life, I look at it and I see that there's a disconnect, that my life doesn't match up with what I'm seeing here. And so if you've grown up in confirmation, maybe you heard the old uh, cliche or the, 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 the SOS. You remember this? The law, what? It shows our sin. As we look into the, the law of God, it reveals our sinfulness. And we say, I don't measure up with it. What's our natural tendency when we do something wrong, when we sin? First of all, we, we like to make excuses like, hey, he made me do it. I didn't really want to, or we try to minimize, don't we? we? Try to like I'm not as bad as they are. Like when my boys were growing up, one time my oldest son Austin, he punches my younger son, and like they're crying, ah, they're in this fight, and I go, Austin, get in here. And I took him aside. I said, We don't do this. Like I'm going to punish you. And like this is not right. You don't hit your brother. And he's like, Dad, Dad, before you punish me, can I just say something real quick? I'm like, okay, what? He's like, well, at least I hit him in the stomach and I didn't punch him in the nose. I'm like, okay, so like we minimize. We try to, to downgrade our faults and we have a tendency to make other people's faults look worse, don't we? Oh, it's just a little mistake. I know I took 10 grand from the company, and, but it was just a little mistake. I love how Andy Stanley, he categorizes how we've gotten away from calling a sin a sin. He says this, and if everything I do wrong can be dumbed down to where it's just a mistake, that makes me a mistaker, which means I don't have sin, and if I don't have sin, I'm not a sinner. 
If I'm not a sinner, I don't have a need for a savior. If you're just a mistaker, then all you have to do is do better. If you're just a mistaker, you just try to do better next time. Oh, okay. But what the law shows us is that we are sinners, that there's no hope for us outside except for Jesus. It shows us our need for a savior, that we are corrupt to the core, and there's nothing we can do to to change it, and we need a savior. The last function of the law could be called a guide. A guide, it's though, though we're reborn and we know Christ and we're his, that we still have the flesh nature clinging to us and we need, uh, we need a guide to orient us in how to live God's plan for our lives. And so we need a guide. One day Jesus was teaching and some teachers of the law came up to try to trip him up and they said, Lord, what is the, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied in Matthew 22, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus was doing, he was summarizing that axis. He's saying, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the true will of God. That's what the law means. That's what God wants for our life. So it leads us to this question. Here, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? Like if if we're on this side of the cross and we're in grace, can I just go and sin and do everything I want to do? Because the more I sin, the more grace is gonna keep abounding. And so is that how it works? And listen to what Paul says. He says, what then, shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but we're now under grace by no means. Do you not know do you, don't you know that when you offered yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slave to the one you obey? Whether you are slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to repentance. And then listen to this phrase right here. He says, but thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. He's talking about the heart there. He's saying now, you don't have to live under obligation and coercion to keep the the law of God and under fear of a punishment because Jesus took that from you. But he's saying, I want you to live in response to grace. And I want you to see my love for you. And out of that, that you say, Lord, I want to obey you and I want to live for you. I'm gonna mess this up. We, we get obedience wrong, don't we? Like sometimes even when we try to obey, we get the motive of obedience wrong. We do it like, like, well, I better do it because somebody's, somebody else is not going to do it. Or I better do it because somebody's watching me and they're, they're holding me accountable. And so I don't really want to, but I'm going to. And so we, we're obedient, but our motives get messed up. And God sees all of this mess. And he, he sent Jesus. He said, I'm going to send my son to live out perfect obedience. St. Paul said this, that Jesus was obedient even unto death, death on a cross, Wow, we can live now claimed by Jesus, God's children, not obligated to the law, but living it out of love and obedience, living out the shape of God's will to the world. Are you tired of chaos in your relationships and in your life? Let me give you something 
a prayer you can pray this week that might help you in your quiet time to pray this. First of all, this simple prayer John gave us last week is, Lord, step into my chaos and bring order. Lord, step in. I need you. And then this next one, Lord, use me to step into the chaos around me and to live out your love. When a silversmith is working with silver to get ready to use it, he has to purify it and get all the impurities out so he heats it up in a crucible. He begins to, to, to get the, the impurities off and he's scraping them off and he's peering into it. And how does he know when it's ready to be used? He can look into it and he sees the reflection of his own face in there. God is purifying you. He's working in your life as he's transforming you from the inside out and as he looks at you, he is seeing the image of his son in you reflected and so he's calling you today he says church i want you to go out i want you to bring hope and i want you to bring love and i want you to go be a living example a reflection of my son into a world that desperately needs hope and salvation so go now in peace and confidence and serve me amen